All right, I have, I have a joke to start. Uh, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Martino, if you come to second service every once in a while, uh, she's in a wheelchair. Uh, she's been kind of bound to where she's at. And she sent me this joke this week, and it was okay. And so I said, I'll probably tell it. She goes, if you tell it, you got to say it came from me. All right. So this is it. Uh, what did Adam say the day before Christmas? Merry Christmas, Eve. <laughs> All right, so if you see Lindsay, you got to say, hey, Lindsay, that, that was great. Speaking of Christmas Eve, I'm going to re-hit this again. All right, Christmas Eve services, 4, 6, 8 p.m. this coming Saturday. There's a whole lot of hubbub about whether churches should do services on Christmas Day or not. We are not, and it's not because we don't love Jesus. Just get that out of your head. We talk about Jesus and the gospel all year long. We are doing three services, which will talk about Jesus on Christmas Eve. And if you want to invite someone to something they've never been to church, invite them to that. It's going to be a whole lot of fun, and we'll even give you something to go home with. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will make fun of it by the end of the service. Anyway, uh, you should all come, Christmas Eve services. And then on Christmas Day, just... I'm going to give you something to remind you of who Jesus is on Christmas Day at Christmas Eve services, but just enjoy who Jesus is, that the hope of the world has come, and that's what we celebrate. All right. I don't think I have anything else. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. And we're having one service on... I should really look at what I write down for myself. I don't know why. Uh, we're having one service on New Year's Day at 1045, so you can all sleep in and then come, and we're going to do one last reflection on our prayer series. So welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. And I had... Well, I'll just do this. I can't find my other one that was back here. So what we have on all the communion tables right now are these booklets on our prayer series. This is week 13. This is the last week in this booklet. So if you're brand new, you can grab one anyway. You got a whole lot of back stuff if you get bored during the message to look at. Not that that'll happen. Uh, but you can look through this and there are sermon notes for today. There are questions that go along with today's message. You can talk to friends, family, kids, gospel community about. There is uh, short little daily devotions. If you've never spent time with God every day, it's like one verse, one question to kind of walk through. And maybe if you haven't spent time with God every day in the past in your life, you can start to do that now. So you can grab one of those. And then what we have are... oh. Oh, and then we have the, hold it up, Saban, hold it up. Then we have these prayer journals. <laughs> Inside these prayer journals, <laughs> you can take sermon notes, you can write down what you're, I need you every service. <laughs> All you heard was, I need you. <laughs> Anyway, you can write down sermon notes, your prayers, uh, and hopefully if you've been doing that from the beginning of the series, by the time you get to the end, you can see the things that God is doing and how he is working. Sometimes we don't even realize it, so it's really good to write those things down. If you have a smart device, you can download an app, it is called Uversion. Once you download it, it just says Bible. And you open that up, you press on more, and then events. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get the verses we're going through today. Uh, you'll get uh, some sermon notes, you'll get some questions you get the link to the survey and a couple other things. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word.
And this is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, that to you would be the glory in the church and in this world throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a seat. See, I just stole Paul's prayer. There you go. Now, this is week 13 of our prayer series, and you might be thinking, is this thing ever going to end? Yes. Today. Sort of. Until you get to New Year's when it's just a reflection. But this is the last official message in this series. I, I think you should always be like, man, 13 weeks, I made it through it. You survived. You're okay. If you did the booklet through the entire time, awesome on you. That, that's great. So for the last 13 weeks, as we're talking about prayer, we have broken it up in two different ways. The first eight weeks, we talked about what prayer is, what prayer isn't, unanswered prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We talked about adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We talked about praying in the Spirit and what all of that means. In the last five weeks of the series, we have been looking at prayers of people in the Bible, how they actually prayed. Now, the very very first week, we started with this definition of prayer. Prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through His Word and provided by His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. That it is God who must reveal Himself. We have a lot of people in our world today who will say, this is what I think God is. Well, that's not who God is. God is who is re- has revealed Himself to be in the Scriptures, and that's grace. And the more that we come to know Him, the more intimate we can be in relationship with Him. Now, I don't know about sometimes when people hear the word prayer, they think, I don't pray enough. I don't have enough faith. Hopefully through this series, you'll kind of remove some of the stigma around that. We'll be less anxious about prayer. We'll actually start to communicate with God. And maybe there is an answer that you have been asking for in prayer. Maybe it's a marriage to be put back together or a kid to come home or a friendship to have some reconciliation. Maybe you have a chronic worry or an anxiety or you've been praying for your lotto ticket to be worth more than trash, right? But sometimes when, not always, but sometimes when things don't happen the way that we want, we start to get jaded. And that's because we misunderstand what prayer actually is. So we stop praying. And again, if that's the case, and you've been here for these past 13 weeks or part of that, I really hope this has been helpful and useful for you in deepening your understanding of prayer and who God truly is. Prayer is real communication with God. That's what it centers around. Every deep person of prayer that I know that I have ever met has been marked by the conviction of God's faithfulness and His goodness, even through trial and pain and what we perceive as unanswered prayer. Again, prayer is not about trying to get things from God. Sometimes people will say that. Why should I pray? God's going to do what He's going to do. Well, prayer isn't about trying to get God to change His mind or to get things from Him. Prayer is about a deepening relationship with God. And the culture we live in today tries so hard to erode our conviction that God is good. And so one of the reasons we're looking at the prayers of the people in the Bible is to help us understand some of their convictions, some of the reasons they prayed the way they did or said the things that they actually said. So if you have a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 3. That is on page 634 if you have an element Bible. And you're thinking, if you were here last week, didn't we talk about this last week? Yes, we did. 
but we only went through verse 19. I didn't do the whole thing. And I think a great way is to kind of end with the last two verses of Paul's prayer. So I will read the whole thing to you. It's an amazing prayer. And then we'll look at the last couple of verses. So Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family and on heaven and on earth is named. If you have an NIV, it will say, I pray, because that's, I kneel before the Father, that's what he's talking about. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you have an NIV, it will say, I pray again here, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now today, we're going to talk about the last two lines. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Think there is also the word imagine. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now let those words of Paul hit you as if they're being prayed over you because they actually are being prayed over you. And I came across when I was putting this whole series together, this really old podcast by one of my favorite preachers. His name was John Ortberg. And it was like a conclusion to what I spoke about. So I'm really going to steal the good bits of what he said and put this all together with the whole ending of this because in the book of Ephesians, it shows this deep confidence in who God is. A deep confidence that God will take Paul through everything he is going through. And Paul wants us to have that confidence as well. And I think people who know God become gripped with this conviction. And it brings a sense of security when we're in doubt. And people who know who God is and trust Him, we're willing to step out and risk when we're scared or when we're afraid. And it may not seem like there's a whole lot to add after you read Paul's prayer, but there kind of is. And I hope today inspires you. And like I said, this podcast I was talking about is a perfect way to bring this together. Also as a Christmas gift, my message is going to be a little bit shorter. My wife says I say that sometimes and I lie. It's never true, but I'm really going to do that. It's going to be a little bit shorter today. You're like, amen. You're, you're, you're welcome. All right. So here is Paul's conviction of what he says. Now to him who is able, our God is able. Now I want you to actually say that. Our God is able. Not like a cult, but like, a, but like with passion and conviction. Our God is able. Yes, that was much better. And so able to do what? He is able to do whatever needs to be done in whatever circumstances it needs to be in the world and in our lives. One writer says it like this. No problem can stop him. No obstacle can thwart him. No circumstance can worry him. No outcome can confuse him. In the middle of our circumstances, when it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling or just going out to nowhere, our God is able. There are places in our world that want to make you question and doubt who God is and what He is doing, but our God is able. You have to remember, Paul writes these words. He's in prison unfairly. He's awaiting execution, and this is what he prays. He's not questioning God's ableness. Paul doesn't say, for this reason I kneel before the Father and pray that out of his glorious riches in Christ he will get me out of this jail cell. That is not how he prays at all. And it's amazing with the words that he says. Paul has confidence in God when he is free and when he is in jail. He says, for this reason. What's the reason? God is able. Hello. 
God is able. I bow my knees before the Father from every family and on heaven and on earth is named. There's this uh, great story. Don't stop me if you've heard it because this is a sermon. Um, but there's this old movie slash documentary. It's called The Bear. Anybody ever see this thing called The Bear? Oh, okay. The, oh, The Bear is kind of, it's so amazing. So, Sad starts off where this little bear's mom dies in this accident. But then what happens is this little bear, again, really cute. You have this mountain lion that starts kind of tracking him around. You're like, oh, no, this kid's going to be dinner. But then what happens is this little kid runs across a Kodiak bear, like a big daddy Kodiak bear. And all of a sudden, this little cub bear gets adopted by this big Kodiak bear. And the little cub starts to do everything the big Kodiak bear does, right? It's like a, it's like a father and a son going out on a holiday. And so the father will grub for instance. Sex, the little cub will grub for insects. And then the father will try and catch salmon in the stream, and the little cub tries. I mean, he's not great at because he's little, but he tries to do it. But he's so cute. The daddy Kodiak will rub his back against a tree to scratch his back, and the little cub will, will give it a shot, too. Whatever he sees his daddy bear do, that's what the little cub starts to do. And again, it's very cute. But you know something's coming, right? Because it wouldn't be fun if. It wasn't like dramatic at all. So what happens is the one time the, the Kodiak bear ends up going missing, so the little cub is all by itself. And then when that happens, here comes the mountain lion. The mountain lion's like, oh no, what's going to happen to the little bear? This cute little little bear that we don't want to take home and hug till it became five times your size and ate you. But you'd be like, oh, what are we going to do with this little cub? So the mountain lion comes up, it's all ready, and the little cub does what he sees his dad do. Little cub gets up on his hind legs, puts his arms out, and he lets out this roar, which is like, He doesn't have a big old daddy. I said, right? And you're like, this thing is dinner right now. But then what happens is the mountain lion goes, and it slinks away kind of in fear. You're like, what? And then the camera pans, and about six or ten feet behind that little cub is the Kodiak bear. And he's on his hind legs, and he's got his arms out. And as that mountain lion starts to slink away, he's like, little daddy bear, right? And what, what you have to understand in the midst of that is that that little cub was never on his own. His father was always there. And that, maybe that big bear, part of helping that little bear grow up, maybe what he did was he moved himself from the cub's sight for a while to grow him up. But he's always there. He's always watching, perfectly capable. Now, that's a cute story, but what we need to know about God is that God is able. If we are ever going to have a conviction and live our lives and pray and commune with Him throughout them, then we need to know that God is so much more able than us. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And it's like Paul is saying, I know you are going to underestimate who God is. You're going to underestimate what he does in the world. And this is why I'm praying the way that I am. The world you live in is going to make you think too little of him. That we made these things up about who he is. So I want to make this clear. God is able. And you should never, ever doubt it. God's not a cosmic bystander watching to see what happens. He wills and he works. He is active and he is involved in the universe. And God is able to do whatever needs to be done. And this is why we pray. We pray for certain things. And sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. But he is able. But God is bigger than that. He's able to do the stuff we imagine. And even the things we don't even think about asking for because they're out of our purview. But he's bigger than than that. He's not just able to do all that you ask or imagine. Paul says he's able to do more than all we ask or imagine. And not just that, he says he's able to do, if you have an NIV, far more. 
if you have an English Standard Version, far more abundantly. If you like the King James Version, it says exceedingly abundantly. That's how much more. And the interesting thing about this, Paul uses a word here that's not used anywhere else in Greek literature. It's a word that Paul just made up because God is so able, there's not even a word to say how able he is. So Paul's like, I'm going to make one up. And he puts it in. That's how able God is. There is nothing that is inconsistent with his character that God cannot do. The real powers in our world are not political powers. They're not economic powers. Those are limited human powers. They're always trying to assert God's power, but we will not pray if we do not understand how able God actually is in the deepest place, Paul says, of our inner being. And we will not believe God is able if we do not spend time with him coming to know him. And this is why prayer is so important. In Genesis 1, God says, let there be light. And guess what? Light happens. It just happens. All the physical universe comes into being because God willed it to be so. And that is no strain on him to do that whatsoever. And nothing in science disproves that. Nothing. There is no study in any peer-reviewed academic journal that says anything other than this. Someone once said this, our problem is we think we live in a great big universe with a little God, but that is not reality. The reality is the Bible describes a great big God with a tiny little universe. Think about that. Think about that. He's able to run the whole thing, no strain at all on who he is. He's able to interact and suspend the laws of nature and things that we call miracles. And some people say, miracles don't happen. Well, yes, they do. And we call them miracles because it's out of the bounds of nature. So it's going to be weird and different. He's able to part a body of water. So as people walk across on dry land, he's able to calm a storm on a sea. We'd just be saying, peace be still. When the Israelites need some time to win the battle, God extends a day like you do. Uh, He's able to make the walls of a city come tumbling down. He's able to make a boy named David defeat a giant named Goliath. God can make a flood, but he can make a drought. He's able to make a rainbow as a reminder of his promises. But God's power is not limited to just those laws of nature. Our God brings deliverance from impossible situations. He is able to take a man named Naaman who has leprosy and cure him. He delivers a guy named Daniel a couple weeks ago from this lion's den. He's able to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. He delivers a boy named Joseph in the book of Genesis from Pharaoh's prison. He delivers all of his people from Egyptian slavery. He delivers his people again from a genocide that a guy named Haman wanted to do in the book of Esther. He delivers his prophet Elijah from Jezebel and he would deliver Paul from a Philippian jail. But on top of this, God also provides. He gives manna to his people in the wilderness every day for 40 years. And during that same journey, he will even give them water out of a rock. Jesus will come. He will take two fish and five loaves and feed 5,000 people and have 12 baskets left over. The Apostle Paul has known hunger and starvation, and yet he says, Our God is able to provide your every need. God also changes the hearts of men and women. He softens the hard heart of Pharaoh to let his people go. He strengthens the heart of a man named Gideon to defend his people. And he will take a genocidal zealot who kept trying to kill Christians named Saul and change him into a self-sacrificing missionary named Paul that wrote this prayer. How about this? He's also able to forgive sins. Say that. He forgives sins. 
He forgives sins. Now, what does it mean to be guilty before a righteous God? Well, I'm, I've got a little example. I am not the best driver. If you've ever been near me or seen that, you, you, you know this. My wife knows this. I am aggressive. I am impatient. And I should get way more tickets than I do. Uh, the last, I'm just saying that, okay? The last time I got pulled over, I was, I was going out Broadway, and I was in a hurry, and I took a left-hand turn in front of some cars, and some scaredy pants put on their brakes. So they put on their brakes. This cop pulls me over for affecting the flow of traffic. And I said, going 30 and a 45 isn't affecting the flow of traffic. Don't argue with police officers, okay? <laughs> they got a job to do. They're just doing their job. And he goes, he goes no, you, you did this thing. And I'm like, what, whatever. And when I, when I asked about this, I go, can I slam on my brakes and you'll pull somebody over? And I have done this multiple times. They never pulled anybody over when I do it. <laughs> whatever. Anyway. But I said, but I said, why? And he said, because you're guilty. You broke the law. Here's your ticket. Have a nice day. And I'm like, uh, you ever go driving and you do something dumb and you look in the mirror and there's a cop right behind you? And you're like, ah, uh, or a cop with the red lights flashing behind you. You're like, no, because you know you're guilty. You know you did it. You know you're going to try and argue to get out of it. But imagine you stand before the God of the universe who knows everything, who is perfectly holy and right and just and he has never sinned. And everything you try to hide from yourself, how you lie to other people. Oh, no, I got all together. I didn't do that because of that. I didn't mean this. But you know you did. God knows all of those things. And imagine standing before him and knowing all of that, that we stand guilty, but our God forgives sins. How? By just winking at him and acting like they don't exist, like we do with sometimes the kids around us, like, oh, I'm just not even going to deal with that today. No, God does it by being just. There is a penalty for that sin. And then God pays that penalty himself in Christ. This is why Jesus is just and justifier. Our God in Jesus becomes human and suffers on a cross and purchases pardon to cleanse us from guilt and to free us from the penalty of the law. Only God can do this. You can sin against me and I can forgive you. I can do that. Whenever somebody forgives, somebody is bearing the cost of that forgiveness. But I cannot cleanse you of guilt. I just cannot do that. But God can. And if you have never asked him to do that, today is the day to do that because he is able and he will do it today. The whole human story longs for the story of God. Anybody know who a guy named Joss Whedon is? Joss Whedon? No? Okay, a few of you. So Joss Whedon is this guy. He's in a lot of trouble right now because he says he stood up for the rights of women, but he created very toxic cultures where he was. But anyway, he did this show called Firefly and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the first two Avengers movies. And Whedon is not a Christian. Whedon, Whedon mocks Christianity, mocks religion, thinks it's all, all dumb. And yet at the very center of all of the stories that he tells is someone who dies in order to save everybody else. Buffy dies and then rises to save her friends. This guy named Wash dies in the show called Firefly. This guy named Coulson dies in the first uh, MCU movie, the first uh, Avengers movie. And he will be raised from the grave later in a TV show. And Whedon gets irritated when people point this out. You are just stealing the Christian story. He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, buddy, you are. That, that's, that's exactly what you're doing. See, it's, but, but this is the most transforming narrative. When we understand what God did, no matter the century, no matter the culture, Christianity is the only faith where our God dying for us in our place for our sin is at the center of our faith. And if you believe it really happened and why it had to happen when we believe Jesus died for the world and us specifically at infinite cost to himself, that will change anybody. And it brings a unity because only that could when you're centered on Christ and not upon everything else. We will center ourselves on the depth and the love of Christ.
God has all this power since before time even became time, and none of it has ever diminished. And that's the nature of God. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his strength does not abate. John Ortberg says this, He is able to take a woman who has been trapped by alcohol for decades and give her sobriety. And I have actually seen that happen. He's able to take a marriage that has been devastated by betrayal and hurt and hatred and put it back together. I've seen that happen. He's able to take a man who has been disgraced, undone by scandal and sin, and make him into a new creature. And I have seen that happen. He's able to come alongside a family that has been devastated by the news of a terminal illness so they can now face the future with truth and hope that death does not get the last word. And I have seen that happen. Because I wish we could just get what Paul is saying here about God into our inner being. Because our God can and does heal brokenness and reconcile relationships. And he does give wisdom and provide meaning and breathe hope. And he did raise Jesus Christ from the dead in order to promise us new life forever. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And there is another thing that's so important when we hear this and that part of God's character and how he loves and takes care of his people. Because some people will say, I believe that there is a God and he can do extraordinary things. I just don't think he'll do them for me. I don't have enough faith. My faith is too weak. My life is too messed up. Maybe you don't think that you are spiritual enough. This is why Paul prays this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. Who's the you? The use you and you and you and Donald in the back and you and you and you and you. That's the you. 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 That one better? He said that you, you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, oh, there it is again. Who's the you? You, me, it's you, us. That's the you. Being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend that our God is big enough to run the universe. But through his spirit, he is grace-filled enough to come and live in our broken and messed up hearts as he brings healing. Paul talks about this paradox, that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth so you know it, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying about something we could grasp, but also something that's actually beyond our comprehension. It's, it's this paradox. It's, it's so deep in our souls that we can't even put it into words. And not just know about it, but to know the love that nobody could ever fully know that's be fully on our, beyond our comprehension. I mean, how do you even say that or write that? I don't know. It's this kind of idea that God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. And love is such a part of his character. He is incapable of unlove. And sometimes people will say, oh, isn't it amazing that God would love somebody like me? Well, in one sense, no, it's not. It's not. It'd be amazing if God didn't love somebody like you. That would be amazing. For God, for just one instant, cease to be loving, that would make him cease to be who he is. Now, what we do is we try to put our definition of love onto God. We do that all the time. And we say, oh, if God's loving, he'll approve of whatever I want to do. Guys, that's not love. That's indifference. That's indifference. That borders on hate. But God does love us. And he calls us to himself. And he brings us back to himself. And he defines what love is in himself. And it's amazing that God would love us. But it's also not 
amazing that God would love us when we understand his character. And that God loves us is what Paul is praying about, that we would understand. It is not about how lovable we are. It is about how loving God himself is. Paul prays this way because we have so much in us that is other than love. And it makes us hard to comprehend God. It really does. But living in love in response to God is how those who have been changed by God start to live in their inner being. When we understand his ableness and his love for us. John Ortberg says this, Love is the flag that flies where Jesus resides in the heart. And it is true. And talking about that or affirming it doesn't mean we know it like Paul prays for us to know it. Because when we know it, we will begin to live in it. And sometimes that's quick and sometimes it's short. And you might meet somebody who says they love Jesus and they don't seem to be the nicest person in the world. Well, maybe God's actually working on their heart and you didn't see him six months ago. Maybe whatever they're like right now is like a huge improvement. And it doesn't stop. Christianity is a trip. It's not a destination. We keep loving and walking with God in communion with him, which centers in prayer. It centers in prayer, knowing it means we live it. And here's the question. Where do you want to see God at work in your life? What do you see, want to see God doing in your life? See, do you have a deep disappointment that maybe has rocked your world that just sits there inside of you? Is there something going on in your life that you are fearful about that feels so out of control? But have you ever taken a step back and thought about the truth of the gospel and maybe looked at these hard or troublesome things in your life and actually said, this is going to be a test of my joyful confidence in God. So I will step into this, whatever it is I'm going through, whatever it is that God has allowed in my life, and realize this is going to test my confidence in God. And I want to come out the other side truly believing and trusting Him. Do you talk to God about it? And how often do we do that for one another? Because it's very easy to sit next to somebody else when they're going through something difficult and just say, hey, I'm sorry. But maybe in the midst of a conversation, you can come back and say, this is going to be a test of your joyful confidence in God. And what are you going to do in the midst of that? I actually met with somebody who was a shut-in this week. And they haven't been here uh, for a few months. And I was talking to them. And they said, oh, I'm reading the prayer booklet. And what are you going to talk about this week? And so I did. And I kind of walked them through all of God's ableness and all of this. And as they're sitting in a wheelchair and can't get out, I said, so the question kind of goes to you. This is a test of your joyful confidence in God. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I love him. And I'm like, that's awesome. I wish I was like that in the midst of my trials that I'm going through. Guys, if there's a God, like the one Paul prays to and Jesus talks about, which there is, and he's actively involved in our life, that means no circumstance we ever go through could put us outside of his care and love for us. That's how able he is. And everybody in our lives, we're going to have a test. Many of us will have multiple tests in our lives. And we must be confident to know that God is able. So we would find our joyful confidence in him no matter what we go through. We can be a people who live that way. And will we commit to be those who each day remember whatever is burdening us in our life, that in the midst of that, God would still remind us to remind others that he is able. So I would say, pray not just for yourself, pray for those around you. Pray for others like Paul does. So pray for friends and neighbors and sons and daughters and spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends and co-workers and politicians and, and YouTubers and whoever it is that God brings into your life. When you see people in your neighborhood and you walk out your front door and someone's walking, be like, oh, God brought those people into my life for a reason. So I'd pray for them. And maybe you start to pray for them. Maybe when you go to a store at Christmas and you go to Costco, you don't want to because it's crazy between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, but you go there like, all these people. Well, maybe all those people are there, so God reminds you, I'm going to start praying for these people around you. 
Maybe you do that. Maybe you're driving down the road and that, and that school bus stops with those red lights. I'm like, oh, I'm in a hurry. But you got to stop and pray for those kids and for that bus driver who's got to drive those kids around <laughs> right now. You pray for them. And if you get pulled over by that cop because some scaredy pants puts on their brakes, pray for the scaredy pants and pray for the cop too. Not with your eyes closed because that's just weird. You know, it'd be like, your eyes are closed. You got to open them. That's why you drive like that. No, whatever brought you in here today, uh, or if you're watching online, whatever that is, guys, we want to be a people who step into this new year knowing our God is able. And after these 13 weeks on prayer, I would ask you to commit to commit to pray. So stay this with me. Our God is able. One more time. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take and you would move us to be a people who understand your ableness. That we would commit to commit to pray. That we would be a people who understand your greatness, your glory, your majesty, as you are a God who has returned us to yourself. That yes, you have made this entire universe with all the things we understand and all the things that we don't understand. And yet, and yet, you know us personally and draw us to yourself because you are able. And I ask that you would give us a deep, conviction of your love for us and that we would honor you in that it is so easy to get our eyes off of who you are and who you are calling us to be it's so easy to get our eyes off of your ableness but I ask that through the midst of this series and especially today that you would give us a deep confidence in our inner being that you are able to do more than we ask or think or imagine because it is your grace that has been extended to us and we want to be a people who live for your glory. And so we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. So today, short sermon. See, I'm promising you this. We invite you to come to communion where we remember Christ's body and blood, his body broken, his blood shed for us. Because our God doesn't wink at sin and act like it isn't there. He is just. He is just. And he pays for our sin and he is justifier. And he brings us back to himself. If you need prayer today, maybe you are someone who has maybe started to think, God's not able, God doesn't hear my prayer, God doesn't care, and you want someone to pray with you. Right across the way in the lounge, there'll be a couple people waiting to pray with you. You can do it during the songs. You can do it after. You can grab some cookies and then head over and with your sugar rush. Have somebody pray with you because we love to pray with you. There's offering boxes next to all the doors because we give because God gave so much to us. It's part of our worship. Guys, I want to tell you that this year we know has been tough for a lot of people. This is the first year since Element has been around that our giving actually has gone down a little bit. But we have given more away because of your generosity this year than we've ever given away before. We gave away over $130,000 this year to different places and organizations. You know why? Not because we're great, not because you're great, but because God's able. 
God does these amazing things. And so we need to look, how do we give this away and help places around us? Because God sends us out to be a joyful people who understand how able he is in forgiving us and restoring us to himself. And we are going to sing and do a couple songs here right now. But as we do these songs, think about how able God is and what he has done in your life. And then maybe this week, take those last questions that come in that prayer booklet and talk to your friends, your family, your gospel community about those. And maybe we'd be those who can remind one another, no matter what we go through, no matter how hard something is, this is just a test of our joyful confidence in God. How are we going to walk through these things, glorifying and honoring Him? Let's be a people who understand God's ableness as we worship Him through all that we do.